because you're jumping back into the gut. Hey coach, welcome to the basketball podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Coach, I really appreciate your support and sharing of the podcast. I'm excited to announce a new partnership that we have started and we are now presented by and supported by the outstanding team at risingcoaches.com. Aligning with a basketball brand like Rising Coaches has always been a goal of mine since starting the basketball podcast, and I'm grateful for the opportunity that has come our way. Rising Coaches provides access to the largest coaching tree in basketball. Through them, you can develop your craft as a coach, connect with other coaches and decision makers, be the first to learn about countless job opportunities on the exclusive Rising Coaches member site. Go to risingcoaches.com today to find out more and become a member. Excited to welcome University of Miami head coach Katie Meyer to the basketball podcast. Coach Meyer is the winningest coach in Miami basketball history. She recently won her 400th game as a head coach and has previously been named both ACC Coach of the Year and AP College Basketball Coach of the Year. In her 17 seasons leading the Canes, Meyer has amassed 10 20 win seasons and coached the team to 12 postseason appearances, including 10 straight from 2009 to 2019. Coach Meyer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited. So fun. Uh, diving into you and learning about you. I mean, just incredible success. And uh, we're going to have a great conversation. I got to start with one of my most successful things in relation to you. And that was posting a play of yours on Twitter, which I call Ball Screen Ghost Follow. And it blew up and people loved it. And it's such a great play. So uh, thanks for running it. <laughs> well, really. And how'd you find it? How does this happen that I just get tweeted by the stud and, and I get all these followers out of it? How's that happen? Isn't it interesting? So for me, I mean, it's a process just like you as a coach, but I usually go through, you know, ATOs on Synergy and, you know, relative to the leaderboard and different things like that. And, you know, it's just random most of the time, to be honest, but uh, I'm so grateful I found that play. And uh, can you take us in that play a little bit? Is, that, is What's the goal of that play? And then uh, where did that play design come from? To be honest, um, you know, I, I like a what I call a 14 double series. So you know, when you flatten out, the a one four flat, and then when I call double, both of the traditional post players um, are going to come up and run a double drag. Um, but in big moments, you just replace a shooter in that. And I actually stole that from Quentin Hillsman when he was coaching at Syracuse because he had these sprinting posts, and and that really opens up the lane. So um, we had some sprinting posts and the posts that could shoot. And then the wrinkle is you just throw sometimes in your your best shooter in that situation, and they the first post thinks it's that double drag situation. So they have a scheme for it and then you just blur it is what we call it. And then, you know, the ghosting of it. And uh, yeah, Kelsey Marshall, I snuck her in there quite a few times this year with that play, but as always, any great play is stolen from someone else. And you did ad- adapt it to your personnel and that's exactly what, what that was. And then this year we're playing um, Louisville in the conference semis or whatever that game was. And uh, I hear Jeff Walls yell Miami and I looked at him like, are you kidding and so he ran our play against us and called it Miami. So afterwards, um, I'm like, Jeff, I cannot believe it. he called me like a day later to congratulate us. And uh, I said, you really called you stole my play and call it Miami. And he was like, hey, I'm going to give credit when I steal it from someone. That's what I always do. And so that's what I love about basketball. I mean, if you're a confident coach, you know, you, you don't have any problem saying, hey, I, I didn't make this up. I stole it from someone else. And 
adapted it to my personnel. Well, that's brilliant. I love that you use the word adapted because I wish coaches would use that more than steal because it's really, you took it and you made it your own. Right. And that's part of this process, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, what's so fun because I, I you know, if you're on my staff, you're going to get a, a, a WhatsApp at about four 30 in the morning when I scrolling through something saying, Hey, let's add this to, you know, box three and, 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 uh, Oh, I like this hammer screen here. And, and, um, you know, my video guys always drawing up plays and in the staff meeting, I'm like, that's not what I wanted. You know, <laughs> like, and he's like, coach, it's exactly what you sent me. I go, I know, but in my brain, what I wanted was this for this and this. And then we, we have staff meetings about it where we adjust. Yeah. That's the fun part. That's so great. And uh, right now I think it's at about 65,000 views and uh, 1600 likes. I mean, it's just like, Coach, I don't know when it happens, but when it happens, it's beautiful and people love that. So uh, keep running it. Thank you. And I will, but I, I, you know, I have to disguise it now that it's so public. <laughs> well, don't call it Miami. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're, we're moving on, Coach. And, uh, you know, I, I had a chance to dive in a little bit and learn about you. And uh, as I said, the success, but the consistency of the success and where it started from is tremendous. And part of the philosophy that was shared by you in our previous podcast was the seek the gap philosophy. Can you explain that to us? You know, there's a book, uh, it's by a, a psychologist, Carolyn Zweck, I think. Um, and it's about the growth mentality. And I try to read, I, I promise I'm not doing as much as I used to, but I did have a, my master's in teaching English from Duke. So I'm a reader, like a voracious just pouring into things and and I got that early in my career and I thought, well, that's it. You know, and it wasn't about sports. It was just about that concept of, you know, where you are and where you want to be. And do you have the courage to define that? Because that's coaching. So you have to boldly say, okay, an assessment, all right, this is where I am. Um, we're not good enough, right? We're, we're not good enough. And, you know, you got to be honest about that. So, and then you got to say, well, where do I want to be? And someone needs to define that for you. And sometimes that's a coach, you know, that is your eyes to the future that can dream for you, that can say, listen, I see where you are right now. But honestly, like I've been there or, you know, you, I know someone who's been there or this is the level that you can be at and you're not there. And, um, and then in between that is the gap. And that's the growth mentality where the people that aggressively seek that gap and really want to live in that gap, um, you know, and it's hard because it's embarrassing. I mean, you know, it's embarrassing to realize uh, how big that gap is sometimes. And and yet um, I'm not going to stop it embarrassed. So I don't have any problem when someone calls me out and says, you know, my offense isn't good enough or we didn't rebound. And OK, you know, there's my list. Well, here's where we are. Here's where we want to be. Um, let's get to work. And I think in recruiting, if you're pretty upfront with recruits and I promise you, there's not anyone on my team that that I haven't explained this to. And then in their home visit or when they're in my office saying like, these are, this is my definition of your gap, right? If this doesn't resonate with you, please do not come to Miami because I'm fired up about working with you for four years or however many years you get these years in this gap, but we have to live there. And if I have to come find you, like I have no problem defining very boldly, this is where you are. Also having plenty of examples of WNBA players and USA gold medals and anything you need. I've coached a lot of great players. so. Do you and, and and more so to the parents, you're, you're hearing this, right? Like you are hearing what I'm telling you right now, because I don't want a phone call next year because you're not playing my baby because. And I say, remember that meeting we had? Like she hasn't worked. She's not in the gap with me and I don't want to go find her and I won't go find her. So that's kind of the mentality that sort of hit me as a coach. And um, my staff really buys into it, too. So uh, it's it's a lot of fun, but we're in the gym all the time. 
it's a great way of explaining it. And uh, the Carol Dweck growth mindset stuff obviously is tremendous. My takeaway from the way you phrase it, which I liked even more, is that it normalizes struggle. It normalizes the realities. And right. it's it's we're not going to hide from the fact that you need to get better at something. We're going to explain it. But then obviously you're going to work with them too, right? Right. And it doesn't, I mean, I miss on a lot of recruits because I don't tell them they're already there. Yeah. I just miss, I just don't get them. You know, I don't tell them that they're, you know, Oh, you know what? There's no gap. I mean, my God, whoever wants to hear that is not going to be able to really crush it. Right. So um, pretty honest. There are a lot of research there and the normalizing thing, like everybody has a gap, like everybody. So uh, even we have two, you know, sub recruits coming in. I mean, they're, we're top 10 recruiting class. Um, and, and so if you're top, you know, 30 in the country as a freshman, now multiply that by four classes, multiply that by transfers. Like you're not top 30, anything, right. As soon as you show up. So you're going to struggle, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not, it's not a lack of encouragement. It's just the absolute reality of like, that takes the stress away um, of, or, you know, freshman year, um, the, the ones that, you know, the know-it-alls really, they raise their hand, they interrupt the coach. And I'm like, really it, guys, your freshman year, just be alert at all. Just absorb it. And don't, don't cut me off and don't say, Oh, I know what you want. Like, Oh, I knew that coach. Like, please don't because that you miss a whole year that where your ego's in front of your, your, your growth. And, and, and um, I'm just really big on it. And I think it takes a, a great staff to, to really just continually emphasize it. Oh, of course. And uh, going, going back, because another thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm imagining it was before seek the gap actually became the official philosophy, but it's probably still part of it. You referenced starting at Miami. And I think this is great advice to coaches is that when you get your first job, especially in a place where you're building something essentially, you know, to the level that you want, but you got to start from somewhere and you talked about, okay, I know what I want this to be, but I can't do it yet. So I'm going to find a solution in that moment. And I thought that was brilliant how you referenced that. And you said, we're going to get defense and rebounding and character people. And we're going to build it. And then we're going to add the offensive talent because we are building it to a level where they see this is possible now. Oh, I, absolutely. And I, and I, I think it was uh, because I had kind of inherited a sort of that situation at Charlotte, which there was a lot of talent that just wasn't dynamic scores either. And that was my first head coaching job. And um, I had come from Tulane and we were really rolling offensively. So it was such an adjustment for me as a coach to be like, wait a minute, like I can't run a, a triangle high low, you know, I couldn't. And um, a lot of off the, off the bounce stuff. I said, well, there's something that we're better at than anyone else. And, and that sort of started there. And then when I got to Miami, when I did an assessment, I thought, you know, the, the most embarrassing thing to me as a coach is when you can't defend someone and you're getting killed on the glass. Okay. So it's embarrassing to only score 33 points against South Carolina as well. Right. But at the point that we were in that program, I thought these are gettable kids. I mean, there's a lot of tweeners. So you know, you'd hear someone say, um, well, you know, so-and-so university A loves her, but, you know, she's the tweener and they don't know what position she is. I'm like, I'll take her. And I just made a living off of anyone who was a tweener, because to me, you're a basketball player then. That means you can swing through a couple positions. And if it was a tweener that could defend and, and, and put a body on someone and was hungry for the ball. So I wouldn't care if we were all between 5'11 and 6'1, the entire team, and then just one point guard, and we were going to make it work because we're going to press and run. And and that was fun because there were a lot of players that a lot of people that had someone on a backup list that they, I just said, okay, no, you're my number one. Um, and, and all the questions about you are true, but this is what we're doing. And it, it vaulted us a little bit. Coach, it, it's so fun to hear this. And uh, another thing you referenced fun. 
I imagine you're fun to play for. And that's just in diving a little bit into it that you you not only value the fact that you want energy, you want people to have fun, but you also seem to embrace the uniqueness of each player. And uh, can you talk a little bit about how you do that? Because I think that's so important, especially in modern coaching. Well, absolutely. And I think the ability to um, just dive a little deeper in terms of understanding like what what makes someone tick and and what their trigger points are and what their you know pressure points are that you can really get them to another level. It's really important. And we do a lot of leadership. Um, we do a lot of meetings. I'll do a small group. I had a meeting yesterday studying that book, the, the Habitude series, which is a great leadership, uh, real easy manual and real visual and just sort of hitting on things and putting ideas and images in someone's head um, about how to lead or how to get through something tough. And when you have those kind of conversations that are kind of basketball, but they they relate and they apply, but it's more so a little bit broader um, when the moments come up and they have this poof, this idea in their head. Um, it's just a certain clarity. You know, you don't want the Columbus effect with the team. You don't want to push them somewhere and they're looking there. I don't know if this bridge has an, a backside, right? I, I'm So they're not going to go as hard. They're just not going to go as hard if they don't understand what's on the other side of it. So I think that's a big job of a coach is to sort of paint a picture and let them and give them all this confidence and, and let them know where they're going and then kind of have to let them go a little bit because that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get them to just go all out and just spill it all out there. But you got to, it's your job to really, you know, make sure that they know on the other side that you're okay. It's going to work out. So um, that's a big part of my philosophy. And I think we do play very hard. You know, I think we're a team that, you know, early on, even when we weren't scoring, it was like, okay, well, we don't like playing them. You know, we hate playing Miami. Um, they're going to make everything hard. And uh, we celebrate that. We love the hard. So those those meetings, those smaller meetings. So you're breaking your team into smaller groups, and yep. th- are they meeting with you? Yes. yes. And then you pick a topic each time, and then is it an interactive meeting, and it's not a passive meeting, right? Exactly. Oh, there's worksheets and homework, and I mean, every year um, as a team, we'll pick a book. Um, during COVID, I really dove into. I did a point guard college. Uh, I, I prepared a whole thing like a point guard college. We studied Sue Bird, Steve Nash. We went through. And, you know, players had homework. They had to pick a player. They had to send me clips. They had to present to their team when we were away from each other. So, um, but like, uh, there's a, but we've done toughness. I've done toughness probably three times with Jay Billis. So it's a, it's a, it's a meeting on your calendar. Like your toughness group has to meet with coach and it's, a, and I'll put the groups, however I feel like makes our team better. And you're in my office, you got an appointment. It's a meeting. It's part of your 20 hours. And, um, you know, and last year we did the whole habitude, uh, one of the books and I'm moving on with my leaders. and then. A lot of times, like Jeff Jansen's leadership has a worksheet and it gets you in it and really has you make, they have to answer questions. They have to fill out the sheet before they're meeting with me. Um, but it's just a little bit extra communication with someone that um, I think they believe um, opens up um, my philosophies. And then when there's confusion on the team, like, what does she mean by this? There's going to be someone who's like, you know what she means? Because they've had, I've had their audience too. Yeah, it's great. And you talk a lot in your program about truth speaking as well. Tell right. them the truth and then working with them to find the solution. And uh, I imagine all of that work that you put into a player individually and then these group meetings, that makes it easier for you to hold them accountable, doesn't it? When you're working on Seek the Gap. Exactly. And it's a little safer, you know, a one-on-one meeting with coach, no matter who you are. And 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 I feel like I'm comfortable with my players, but a one-on-one meeting with coach, you're not going to say as much as if there's a safety in, in a couple numbers, right? And so. And also there's a way more of an investment when I turn to them and I said, well, this is what I need. I need help guys. Like I need help. And, 
and um, can you help me with this? Uh, you know, the portal's blowing up, right? And uh, I want to make sure I don't make a mistake. You know, I want to make sure it, it, you got to act so quickly. So um, can you help me? Like, make sure, can you find out or, or, or on, the, on their visit? Because these are shorter recruiting windows. And with all of my philosophy, how dare I then just blow it all out the window and drop someone in here who's not going to fit in our culture. So there's pressure. But when you open yourself up too as a coach and say, um, I'm vulnerable, I- I'm a little uncomfortable right now, I need help. Um, boy, do they rally. So I think it's all part of just like this group of like, there's a safe space and it's a lot more comfortable when there's about three or four players and only one coach. Was that always part of your philosophy to empower your players and involve them? Or is that something that's evolved as you've evolved as a coach? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the players carry me in, in a lot of instances. They absolutely do. They, they, there are a couple teams I'm telling you that that got me through a really tough season. And there was a couple of players that really stepped up and said, wrote a note, said, coach, you know what? I see you grinding. We believe in you. We love you. Um, we're, we're, you know, and you're like, wow, like, I, I guess I've been, I've been pretty obviously frustrated. <laughs> so, but um, when they step up and do that and, and I, 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 you know, my ego is in my players, you know, whatever, like it, whatever I can do, I go to bed at night. I'm like, it's always someone's last year. It's always someone's first year. It's always someone else's experience. So, um, what can I do to, to make this memorable for them? Well, coach, what I admire, and, and there needs to be more on you, to be honest, we need to have more podcasts from you or more information from you because the way you speak is just tremendous. It's so matter of fact, and it gets through all this BS of kind of coaching and the way we kind of reference it, even you saying you're vulnerable to your players, but also you referenced earlier and you you said this on this last podcast I listened to about getting blown out and just saying how unacceptable that is. And let's just make it known that that's not who we are and that's not what we do. Right. And it's okay to say that. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I mean that I, there's so many layers, I guess. Um, in, in other situations, there's layers and you can't say that to her at this particular moment, but you got to find your window at this other moment. And I just, I grew up with a family of 10. It was a blended family, a widow and widower got married. My dad played basketball at DePaul university in Chicago, but was killed in the plane crash when uh, my mom was pregnant with me. So there, my mom was 27 years old, three kids, pregnant, and a widow. And uh, another family had four four kids, and their their mom died. And in 1970, we say we all got married. And in 1970, I went from I was two and a half years old, and all of a sudden I had you know seven brothers and sisters, and a lot of us were all the same age. So the oldest was 12, I was not even three, and there were eight kids. And you figure it out. And uh, wonderful, loving, incredible blend. But listen, at that dinner table. We didn't have wait for the pocket to, you know, it wasn't like that. It was chaos, but a lot of love, but a lot of chaos. But that family dinner table is what I feel like a video meeting is. Like I could look around. I was the youngest and I look around and say, oh boy, mom's mad at Barry before mom even said anything. So there was a lot of observing. And when I, I think as a leader, um, if you miss those moments where you step back and you just observe, uh, you miss a lot. And you, you miss a moment with a player, you miss a, a shrug, you miss a doubt, you miss a, you know, oh, a, even a defiant, you know, a defiant response, like a, you miss someone bowing up because, you know, I say, guys, you know what, I blew that game. I, I, I shouldn't have gone zone on that out of bounds. And that's on me. And you, the players that are like, oh, thank God she said that. And then there's two or three that go, yeah, that's what we talked about with mom and dad last night, you know, and you, you get those moments and you just know that's your reality and, you know, deal with it and work through it. And. And now I say to myself, okay, let me visit this, that shrug and let me visit that puff up over there. And, and I'm going to go visit it. And before every practice while they're stretching, 
And I learned this. Uh, I did this in USA basketball. I will walk to every player as they're stretching injured, not injured player, star, whatever. And I'm going to shake their hand or hit the shoulder or do something and look them in the eye and get their sense of where they are right now. Um, every single day, every single player, how are you? And they know it will have a greeting or however, but it's not like a dab handshake. It's like, you know, I want to understand like we're present together here today. We got a job to do. This is my promise to you. I'm always going to be here and you need to be here for me. And there's just a moment. And I did that because when I was coaching USA basketball with Brianna Stewart and Asia Wilson and Kelsey Plum, and I didn't know those kids and they were awesome. And I wanted to make sure that there was a handshake or some formal greeting um, and uh, just a moment, 10 seconds, 30 seconds to be like, Hey, it's going to be tough today. Or how are you feeling? Or did you get some rest? Whatever. I don't have it rehearsed plan, but I think it's really important to show that respect to your players too. Tremendous. And, uh, that upbringing probably led to you being very direct, but what, what I noticed about your directness is you have an ability to soften that directness, right? It's not as confronting because of how you do it and who you are. And, uh, did you, do you feel like you learned that a little bit from that blended family experience as well? Oh, hundred percent. And, and, and being the youngest, it's not like I could stand up and demand that the family did something. There was a, there was a way to get that last ho-ho in the box, right? There was a way, you know, 10 people, eight ho-hos in a box and I wanted one. So I had to figure out how I was going to maneuver to, to snag me a full ho-ho. So, uh, that's, you do figure it out. Now you can have as many as you want. Um, <laughs> Coach, I mean, some great phrasing I got from you. Confidence is knowing the next thing that happens will be better. Can you talk to that? Yeah, um, there's a moment. There's a blank space, you know. Um, Actually, I I do a lot of head-to-hand with my shooters. Like, it's in your head. It went through your hand. What happened between head-to-hand? I decided I was shooting, you know, head-to-hand, head-to-hand. Was there a pause? Um, And because of that, I feel like it's like, you know, when I missed a shot in college, I was so cocky. I was like, good. Because their chances of me missing the next one were very, very low, right? And um, that's where it kind of comes from. Like the next thing that happens, forget what just happened, but like if you're a little bit forward and you believe the next thing happened will be positive, sometimes a mistake can make you more confident, you know, if you're that confident, right? So that's kind of the mentality I try to be is like, wow, can you believe you missed that box out? I know that's not happening again. There's no way that'll happen again. And that type of confidence off of mistake can can you know, that's a way to coach through a mistake. It's brilliant. And you reference free throws, say you're an 80% free throw shooter and you miss a free throw. It should actually build your confidence knowing that you're going to make your next eight, right? Right. There's no way. I mean, but you have to be in a gym proving your 80%, you know, Mm -hmm. that that's the whole thing. And I think it was, uh, maybe it's Rick Pitino that I got this from on one of his books, but the difference between pressure and stress is people talked on that, like the same person sitting at a free throw line and, um, they did their free throw ladder that week. So they made their, you know, hundred free throws and there's 0.1 on the clock and they're on the line and they feel pressure, but that's great. I mean, they're ready for it. And, and if they haven't done their preparation, they feel stressed and it's the same kid. It's the same. It's just a different week. And, and if you have that training, then you're sitting on that free throw line, like, thank God it's me on the line right here to win this game, to send us the, the final four. And if you haven't prepared, you're sitting there shaking in your boots with stress and you know, you're going to miss. So, you can't be totally confident without having a body of work that proves your confidence. Another phrasing I loved, it's fun to fix things. Yeah. That's the, could you imagine waking up every day and not having something that you could do? Like I wouldn't know what to do. Better? Right. <laughs> right. And it's not busy work. It's like, uh, I didn't, you know, when you was little and you had your chores and you had to, to, to clean or whatever, I, 
I mean, I'm not trying to say my family was a slob, but like if it was really dusty or the toilet was, you could see the dirt. I enjoyed cleaning that so much more than just doing it every week, even though I couldn't see. But when you can wipe something and be like, wow, I just did that. Like that motivates me. So like for me, it's kind of like, what, what's the problem and how do I wipe it? How do I get there? So um, that's another thing. I think people get beat down by the, the, what issues they have to solve. And I just think, well, how grateful am I to be in a position where there is a problem somewhere and you better believe if I get involved, um, it, it might still be a problem. It's not going to be as bad. Like I'm, I'm going to help, right. I'm going to have an impact. I'm, you're going to know I'm in the room. You're going to know I, I I'm involved in this solution. And, um, so, you know, you just, someone comes in with a problem and you just go straight to, okay, that gives me a to-do list towards a solution. Let's get fired up about this and, and, and crush through it. It's tremendous. Uh, again, focus on the problem or focus on the solution and focusing on the solution is a lot better in the long run. <laughs> well, you know, cause if you focus on the problem, you're just sitting there worrying and chugging. And I mean, I do get stressed. I'm not, this is, I, I sound like I don't have all my, Oh God. Yeah. There's nights I don't sleep. There's times I'm on that treadmill for three hours trying to figure out what I'm going to do and just going, Oh my God, this is so hard. Um, and that's where someone else comes in and says, Hey, Kate, I have an idea. And I go, Oh, thank you so much. Like, wow. All right. Now I have a plan. Now I have a path and just put, just, I have too much energy to, to, to not have a focused goal. I wanted to take a brief pause from the podcast today to tell you about the pick and roll offense course on basketballimmersion.com. An NCAA division one coach texted me last week, telling me that he joined basketballimmersion.com and took his first course. He told me, and I quote, the pick and roll offense course was tremendous. So many creative ways to categorize pick and roll concepts and make the teachings better. I cannot wait to watch more videos and complete more courses. Your learning will never stop as a member of basketballimmersion.com as there are 25 courses with more coming each week, over 600 videos, and now over 70 master classes on special topics and so much more. Get one-stop shopping to stimulate your coaching. Get access at basketballimmersion.com and support not only your coaching, but this podcast as well. Thank you for being part of this community. Tremendous. Uh, I love the reference in terms of goal setting. You talked about instead, not the anti-goal setting, but just more you talked about, I believe in creating opportunities. And I Mm -hmm. love that phrasing for that. Can you talk about that? Right. And it goes back to your assessment. So um, you have to assess your team. And I don't think it's fair before you tip a game to give someone a role. I just, I think it's ridiculously handicapping and um, it puts someone in a box and, and I'm okay with, being flexible and, and having a little bit more work to do as we've played a few games and then figure out like how it goes. And I, I turn to analytics quite a bit with my team so that there's proof in, in my assessments, you know, but um, I don't think you can tell someone your job is to, you, you know, you're not a shooter or you're not a driver or this is, you know, I just, I say, this is what you're great at. This is what you're bad at. And this team really needs a rebounder. And we really don't set screens very well. And this might be the worst passing team I've ever coached. So those things are available. It's an open tryout and I'll, I'll, we need it. So if you, if you want to be really valuable, you know, here's the, we, we might have a lead singer, but we might need a guitar player. Do you play the guitar? Like it happens in the world. And then you figure out, well, I'm okay at the guitar, but damn, if I get really good, I'm going to, I'm going to be on the, in the band. So figure it out. And I don't know why that's, you know, and I, then we can still set a goal. So we'll have a meeting before the year and I will have their shot chart from last year. I will have a blank shot chart and tell them that I'm going to, 
you tell me what your first 100 shots are going to be for Miami and I'll have all the synergy zones and it's blank. And I'll say, okay, you tell me your first 100 shots. And they say, what do you mean? I go, no, no, this is blank. You, you get to tell me, all right, tell me what you think your first 100 shots this season are going to be. And then we, they draw them out and they, you know, it was ad wrong and they go to 105. I'm like, no, no, you, you got to take five off three from the wing, two corner threes, a hundred in the paint, whatever. And, um, and then I go, well, how many of those are you going to make? And then we go through that. And they say, well, if I have 10, I'm going to make eight. I'm like, really? You're going to go eight for 10 from the top of the key? Yeah. Okay. So you're 80%. So you are now the best three-point shooter that's ever walked the earth. Let's get a little bit more realistic. And we go down and then they do that. And then I say, well, okay. So if you're, let's say you make three of 10. So then, you know, that you're at six points and 10 shots. That's not, that's point one. That's point six. That's not good enough point per shot. We go through all that. We highlight it. We write it in. They sign off on it. I sign off on it. And then right before ACC starts, we pull out their current shot chart and go, how are we doing? Because this was your dream, you know? And then I corrected you and kind of said, hey, uh, based on the past, you're about 35% from this zone. So if you push it to 40, great. All right. And then we'll do an assessment. And then next week with my players, we go through our final analysis and they'll have another part B, part C of this analysis of Hey, it's your, you, you, I, I'm giving you permission, but I'm telling you what, if you take 10 of these and you can only make two of them, you don't get 10. You don't get 10. You don't get 10. We're going to drop that down to four. Okay. And so those are the assessments. And so I do use a lot of analytics to help me kind of define the gap with it being very not personal. I mean, I, I'm rooting for you. I hope you do it, but you're not doing it. You're not there. It strikes me that you're you're creating an, a learning environment. And does a lot of this go back to your teaching education degree that you now understand a little bit better how to create this learning environment where people want to strive for improvement? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I, I do think that there's, um, you know, when I was in college, there was a little bit of a, um, Duke is a really high intense academic place. And I had a moment where I was sitting there going, you know what? No, everyone's. Like either they're really, really smart, you know, in the first month I thought, dear, the professor would say any questions and no one would ask a question. And I'd, I'd be like, really? You all got that? Wow. Duke, Duke is brilliant. It's an unbelievable school. And I would move to the back row a little bit and kind of just slide high. And then after a month, I said, wait a minute, let me, let me get ahead, go ahead into the front. And the first time I raised my hand, I said, I do not get what you just taught. I don't understand it. And the whole class was like, oh, thank God. You know? Someone asked a question. So I thought, and when I was getting it free, like I wasn't paying $100,000 a year to go to Duke. It was free for me. So I thought, well, y'all aren't very smart because I'm getting this for free and you're scared to learn. And so, you know, it turns out that some of my favorite people are people who aren't afraid to embarrass themselves and just say, uh, I'll say, did you understand? And they say, absolutely not. I had no idea. And I always laugh. I always make that person feel like the hero because it's so honest and it's so important that. Now we've established the learning moment. Well, the power of the question, so important. And even this concept of saying, does that, do you understand? You know, when we ask that and check for understanding, nobody, nobody asks a question. So some, and I don't even know where I adapted this, but uh, instead of doing that, I'll say, I am not moving on till somebody asks a question. Oh, that's great. I'm so now it empowers them. We actually want it. I'll I'll text it to you too, coach. But um, yeah, I'm not moving on till somebody asks a question. Perfect. Thank you. And what a great segue, Coach, because you say, too, that on in a good practice for you, there are a lot of questions for players. Mm-hmm. So I want to know 
how do you teach them how to ask questions or do you do anything in that way? Oh, well, you know, running is a, is an incredible, uh, so everyone understands. Yeah. Okay. So if, if we make a mistake right now, we're all going to get on the line because we're confident and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. So that's probably how initially it came out and <laughs> it's like the culture of, okay, great. So we got it. Everyone's good. Yeah. Okay. So any, any listening mistake that happens in the next five minutes, we're all going to get on the line because you're all sure that not only do you know, you're sure your teammate understands. Oh yeah, coach. Oh yeah. We got it. Okay. Ready? No, wait. You know, and they'll say they, the first time I did that, they didn't ask the question for themselves. They're like, Hey, Chris doesn't understand Chris. You, you, you're right. So I'm like, Hey, Okay, now you're throwing a teammate under the bus. I'm not sure I like that either. Let's be a little bit more forthcoming. And so you just got to make it comfortable. And one of the other things is in film, you know, um, how I want coaches and I, I, I've been my, running my own program for too many years now to, to know, really, I'm a little bit too removed from how other people do a film, whatever. But do your players like going to film or do they hate it? I mean, because if they hate it, you're not doing your job. Like that is the best time. And the way I've made them like it is that I'm going to first thing, you know, not every game, but believe me, if I am really honest and I know that I coached a bad game, we're leading with that. We're leading with that. That is the very first thing that happens in film is me standing up in front of the team and saying, I blew that, you know, and uh, how'd you guys feel when I called this? And yeah, shoot. And they go, coach, we, we, we didn't know the play. Like, and I'm like, okay, that's my fault. And boy, does that change? the entire temperature of the room. So, you know, thermostat, thermometer, I mean, which one are you? And um, I try to make sure I can read the temperature of the room and then, then change it to where learning can occur. That's brilliant, coach. I mean, that's just a great way to be able to make it a safe environment for them, knowing that you're accountable as well. Uh, and then the other part you mentioned uh, is that you use the video in practice quite a bit too, oh, yeah. so that it's not just this sit down in this dark room and watch video type of experience, right? Yeah. And I, I would love to think that we all think that from film was at 12 and now at 245, you want them to run the thing you showed them at 12 and they're, shoot, they're not going to retain it. I mean, that you know, coming out of a timeout, they don't even retain it when you drew it on the board. Right. So let's pray that they could retain three hours ago's information. So there's always a, a TV monitor on a wheelie car in our practice. And so I can say, okay, we're going to run this, this sideline on a bounce play. And they're like, which one am I? Come here, boom, this one. And they all go, okay, because they're so visual. I mean, we are in a visual culture. There's no way to change. That's, they're trained. Anything on the screen, they're going to absorb it a heck of a lot better. So that's what we do. So in the practice, then, will it be like within the body of practice? Sometimes you'll just go to video and you already have it scripted in that sense yes. that you know you're going to do this? Yeah. yeah. And I'll actually do a, a little um, for special situations. So throughout the season, if there's a play that I really like, and I like the reason why we run it. So there'll be a segment we call scripted plays and um, we'll use a heavy ball. And so the offense has a disadvantage. They have a heavy ball and the defense um, knows it's a heavy ball. So they're going to get in you. So now you've got so much more stress than you'll have when that moment occurs. Right. So you got a heavy ball that you can dribble those yellow ones. You can dribble them, but not well, you can't just bail out on the play. And then they get a point if, uh, besides that, they'll get a point if they catch and they put their toes on the three-point line, like they're catch facing, right? So if you get them on the back foot defense, they don't get the point. And so you run these specific plays and I will show, I'll bring the offense team over. I will show them, I want this exact play. 
And now you're Kelsey and you're my Kia and you're that you got it, this exact play for this exact shot. And I'll have it already scripted on paper. And I'll go, those of you who learn video watch, those of you who want me to tell it to you, I'll tell it to you. Okay. Yeah. We're learning. All right. Now go out there. And if you get this done point for screen point for a clean catch on the, within 20, 25 feet of the basket. Um, and then, you know, it, obviously the defense knows you're not going to shoot a three. So it's gotta be a play that ends up in a layup. It's very, very hard to get to those moments. And then if they score in those moments, it's just this huge celebration. So um, I think it's really important that, you know, you you're clear and then you have different ways uh, of teaching what you want. Well, even just acknowledging that you want to make video interesting and engaging for the players is a big part. And that's a big change from generations ago when we used to watch an hour, two hours of game film, right? <laughs> well, that's that word adapt that we started this whole podcast yeah. with, right? I mean, it's, it's a lot more work for me, but uh, it's worth it. So how does this uh, fit into then how you scout and how you present scout to your players? Is anything unique or different about that? Um. I think uh, once again, um, being visual, you know, I think that, you know, having the, when you're looking at a player, obviously, you know, the traditional thing is their picture and their stats populate or whatever. But I think since we do that shot chart for each other, we'll do the shot chart on the team. We'll do the shot chart on the top five players. Um, look at guys, look at where their shots are coming from that type of thing. But I think when we practice, we've, we've done something where we, um, we have a color code and I, you know, I don't want to give away all my secrets, but a player could be one particular color. And so um, you'll hear my team going, is she, let's say, is she a blue? And that's not the color we use, but blue means something. Yeah. And, and that way, as you run, like we had 10 games in 23 days this year, right? Without this color coding, now a triple, obviously, yeah, she's a triple. You can take a lot of the verbiage out, a lot of the verbiage out of how to defend someone. She's a triple um, dominant right hand. Okay, that can shrink it. And now we can guard to, if you switch ball screens a lot, personnel is so important and everybody's got to know everybody. So we try to make it a color, like I said, something visual. And then on their, their picture on their thing, they will be highlighted that color. Right. And so one might be a hot, hot, hot shooter. So they'll get that one color and someone can't shoot at all. So they're a different color. And then it's when they close their eyes and look at her. Okay. That's number 12. I remember her. Oh, and they can see that color. Um, it, it helps us to defend, uh, less carefully, uh, a little bit more certainty, the Columbus effect, right? Okay. Wait, I know that boom, go. And so I think that has really was a very simple suggestion by one of my assistants a long time ago. And it's been incredible. It's incredible. It's great stuff. Coach. Uh, do, do, do the scout players actually wear that color, say penny or anything, or is it just, we have to, no, identify? no, no. They, the scout okay. players wear the numbers. So we were able to get the jerseys of, of the players, but we, when we start our scout, we'll do some defensive drill where the team's on the baseline and it might be a three man closeout, two man closeout. It might be five, but the players on the baseline, when the ball's thrown into that player, they'll be like yellow, yellow, or, you know, they'll be yelling. So the whole team is training the personnel before we even that's our warm up and when we're introducing another team is some type of a closeout situation an impossible closeout um or maybe you're running off a dig out and we chase off, off screens off of one color and we'll go over the top on a different color instead of the name and you know because i used to say remember how we guarded duke well now you got no it's like okay because so we put them in that category and um it's helped us a lot it's efficiency of language yeah, yeah, and it's just a it's a such an important part and it shows a great teaching environment again. And you referenced this before too that you like to shorten names, which I'm all there with you too, coach. I don't like <laughs> long names. Let's get them down to one syllable because it's efficiency of teaching. Exactly. That's the truth. And uh, my team this year, boy, 
pronouncing their names. I'm I'm not sure I I even know how to do it. So you're going to have a one or two syllable name and that's it. Um, So I can yell it. So I I just want to connect this and and please add to this for uh, youth coaches, high school coaches, these, what I would call perceptual reps of these colors. Let's say someone's left-handed and we designate a lefty as a red, you know, this should be from day one in practice. This doesn't have to wait for scout because this is players getting used to Again, you and I can teach closeouts completely differently. What matters about the end of the closeout is how are you actually covering them? Exactly. Closeout short high hands versus high and tight versus uh, chop on the catch. I mean, chop on the catch is a a philosophy that uh, I I only found. I heard that uh, after Carolyn Keeger, who coached for me, went to Penn State. She was like, she calls me. She's like, Kate, I got something for you for your personnel. Um, I learned this and I'm like, seriously, chop on the catch. No way that's going to work. I don't like chop on the catch. First couple of times I did it, I didn't like it. Now I love it. So there's certain players where you start your chop on the catch. And so there's another option. Can you explain that a little bit more, the chop on the catch? So if there's a skip pass and you're going to close out, um, you know, as they catch the ball, that's the – so you're sprinting on an impossible closeout. And then as they catch the ball, that's when you stop your – start your chop, your chop down. So that's when you drop your hips. And, and so what a great, easy – concept right but never taught it never heard of it didn't know anything about it and um so there's some players that are you know they're they're not an obvious shooter they're not an obvious driver and you know they might be a chop on the catch and then you're kind of daring them you're you're in between on both of them and so that was a new category for us well and i love things like that that give especially if we're talking about young players which we just referenced giving them an understanding of when something should happen a very specific understanding of Chop on the catches, meaning you're actually starting to stop when they catch the right. ball. Exactly. And I thought, don't people just shoot over you all the time? And they're like, if you're sprinting, right, you are sprinting. And then they catch it and you stop. There's something that goes on between head to hand, right? There's something in the offensive mind that goes, ooh, what are they doing? How are they guarding me? Because as they're catching, they see a sprinting body. As they catch it, you stop. That It plays with you a little bit. That's great. I love that. Um, you, when we're talking about scouting, you talked about players. Is there something too as well for uh, plays like obviously cross screen, down screen, let's say you play against that all the time. So mm-hmm. do you have some quick terminology to be able to reference certain plays as well? So there's that if efficiency of language. Yeah, we do. We do. And, and um, you know, in the ACC, golly, the coaches are so great. So you do have to do particular plays, but early on, we're going to do a screening series. So we're going to try to hit in, in our early practices when we're establishing our defense we're going to hit certain actions, you know, UCLA or whatever. Right. But then you add personnel on top of that action. So we don't, we can't memorize plays because you got to add the color to it as well. So uh, point protect push. I mean, that's something where if, if I'm in the lane and, and the ball's opposite me and I'm guarding a post player um, and I think she's going to get a screen or she's going to cut towards the ball. um, We're going to be there and we're going to be pointing. And then we see some action coming and we're going to protect and then we're going to push. Now, what what side are we pushing on? Are we going pushing going over? Or are we pushing and going under? Like, but we're pushing her where we wanted to go. Um, somebody like the uh, dominant post player, you know, we're going to point protect push, and then the guard's going to stay rail, which is my line, the defensive line. She's good. So after you get into it a little bit and you understand cross screen, down screen, whatever. Well, what's what's it? Well, she's a red, so we're chasing. Well, she's a, you know whatever. So you can add all those categories to it. When you do get the specific and, and the player and the personnel and the color is the most important part of all that conversation. That's what starts how you're going to defend any action, right? Well, 
Yeah, the best moments are when you're about midway through the season and I say, okay, we're going over on this one and that your player goes, no, wait a minute, coach. She's a, she's a, she's a purple. We don't do that. I'm like, oh God, you're right. Oh yeah. So, and then I just smile as big as I could ever smile because I got corrected. So when they get it, they get it. I know we make mistakes as coaches, but do you sometimes intentionally make mistakes like that so that you check to see if your players are going to correct? Because I've done that certainly in the past. Yeah, it's more so the que- when I ask a question and I say, uh, so we're going to we're going to uh, sit on her right hand. Right. And they go, yeah. And I'm like, no. And they're always <laughs> like, gotcha. So that's kind of a thing in our culture when uh, the, the freshman answers wrong and the seniors are like, oh, come on. And they get so mad because I get so happy. I, I celebrate like, haha, like I'm I'm so tricky and they hate that. So um, they try to keep each other not getting caught on that trick question. I love that. I love that. In, in terms of uh, specific game prep then coach, how does we take this scout and you've obviously had a great week of practice. Oh. What's, what are some ideas on specific game prep for you? So the one thing I, I, I shifted to, gosh, um, I don't know how many years ago, but um, you know, my assistants do a great job scouting. I, I literally refuse and I will not. And I'll tell everyone who works for me, don't you dare go straight to synergy or something or have someone else um, send you the other team's clips, right? You have to watch the last three games. You have to watch the game, not the edited version, not the whatever, because the big games that we've ever won and big moments, it hasn't been the particular play. It's like, I know he or she's going to this player. I've we're on an 8-0 run. I know the essence of who they're turning to right now. So, so much scouting and so much X's and owing is like, do you know like who they're going to put on your best player on the last play? And if the scout doesn't know that question, they're not serving us as well, right? So people get so into drawing up the play, knowing the play exactly right, and I'm into that as well. But I'm going to be on a treadmill or a peloton or something um, watching, 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 watching the whole game timeouts, uh, literally wanting to see coming out of the timeout, not in, not ordered, not sorted yet. So I won't even talk to my assistant before we, um, before I've got some volume of games in. it helps me a lot. And then the questions are a little bit more high level, you know, so that's one thing. And then I think what happens is, oh, the assistants do their offense, their defense, their cuts, they present to the team and everything else. And, and in those two days or a day or however long I have, I'm, I'm creating a, something I call HTBs, which is how to beats. And in my own mind, I'm grabbing things and I'm putting a project together from our last game. So if it's a team that we feel like we can really crash the weak side glass on, um, and I've seen it. So when, on the day of the game, um, right at, at, before shoot around, the team's like, okay, HTBs, how to beats. And they're going to get my project and they're going to get this, okay, Last time when we played so-and-so, we here's here's Jalea crashing on the glass. You see their guards don't box out, right? See, see, see. All right. And then here's them playing against, you know, NC State. And you see how NC State got that too. Okay. So this is what we're going to do. And so after everything's sort of compressed, you know, and then the biggest question is how long is coaches how to beats today? Like, oh, my God. Like, because now, you know, and the staff puts – 15 minutes coach can't go longer than that. And they're like, you know, how many clips are there and that kind of thing. But it's kind of like using my assistant's work, using the, our last game against them, whenever we played them and then their last couple of opponents and putting it all together. Well, again, speaks to adaptability. I mean, you create these game plans and imagine, obviously you have your system, you have your things, but you're also very adaptable within that to be able to take advantage of advantages. Oh yeah. And I mean, that's, that's scouting so much. I yeah. mean, I, 
you know, I, I know games where um, I wasn't as prepared and someone, a, a team jumps out and starts trapping ball screens and they haven't done it for the last three games. And boy, it's a horrible feeling. It's horrible when you haven't. And not that you as you know what to say as a coach. We, I know what to do if they're trapping a ball screen, right? But if I haven't presented that to my team, it doesn't matter what I know. Like, shame on me. I, I didn't think that possibility could happen to you guys. So that's on me. I didn't, we didn't rep trap ball screens, you know, in any of these prep practices. So it's not so much like, what do I know? It's like, did I prepare my team? So I just, I hate when coaches after a game are sitting there in a press conference and they're looking at the stat sheet and they're going, you know, if we just shot better, we would have won. And my <laughs> coach, obviously. Mm-hmm. Now, why didn't you shoot well? Did the other team do something that made you uncomfortable that you weren't prepared for? Did you have the wrong kids take the wrong shot because the other team took it away? Like, give the other team more credit. And then, and, then, and, then, and then analyze yourself a little bit more. And what? Are you serious? Those stat sheets are for losers. You know, the winning coach isn't usually sitting there staring at the stat sheet. It's the losing coach that's trying to figure out why, you know, these stats are the reason why they didn't win. I was like, go ask your players. Like, was it hard to see? You know, did they sit on your strong hand and force you into a lot of turnovers? Like have conversations because, you know, maybe I missed it it, during the game. And and then there's like, yeah, I just, God, I couldn't get clean. I couldn't get off a a dig out. I just couldn't get clean. They, they bodied me up. And if you missed it during the game and your assistance, but your kids, the kids want to do well, like, so figure it out, like before, afterwards, blaming them. Coach, again, this directness comes through and uh, kind of how you explain these things. And uh, I got to watch some of your uh, post-game press conferences. Uh, it's going to be fun. But uh, one last thing, Coach, uh, I love this too, that you, when you talk about empowering people, that's basically, it's not enough to just empower them. You have to activate them as well. Can you talk about this activation process? Yeah, and I think it it's the same thing. It will go through to, you can say someone, you can tell someone, you can do it, right? Um you can say, I, I nominate Chris to be the one on our team who's going to be our leading scorer, right? That's empowering, but like, there's a huge difference. So if I think you're going to be the leading scorer, like, how do I motivate you to act towards that? And how do I make sure that there's a support of this decision and, and that we're all behind it so that there's, there's a movement versus just a label, right? And, and I think, you know, a lot of times that is, we, we you know, I'm big on who's a gamer, right? A gamer. They hit hit shots and get stops in March, and that's it. So, like, you can be everything you want to be in November, December, but like, in ga- when you're a gamer. So, we have skill workouts that are called gamer, and every drill, everything's a five, four, three, two, one situation. And somebody wins and somebody loses because it's you know defense is up one, and if you get a stop, you win, and offense is down. And and be a gamer, be a gamer, and and so those emerge too, and then it makes like, well, wait a minute. I think I'm one like, so, so now I'm going to go and I have a chance to prove it often. I have a, a chance to prove often, not just the one time ever every week, there's going to be an opportunity to do this. And so I think that's kind of where you get them a little bit empowered, but then a little bit more planning towards it versus just um, saying, well, it wasn't my fault that she didn't label me this, you know, like, you know, like, well, you have a chance. Like, and, and I think this is going to be really fun. Like, cause someone wins and someone loses every time in basketball. So we are not losers. We're not winners. There's no, it never ends. And so there's a, there's a, you can be a gamer on a box out on a free throw box out. Like, Oh, I won. I won. You lost. I got you. And so now we're activating a little bit more towards it and, and gaining and grabbing opportunities. 
I got to ask in those gamer drills are like short shot clock drills and are they one-on-ones or are they small sided games? Yeah. So we'll do a scoring practice to where it'll be uh one-on-one and, and then you win. And then I say, okay, this next thing we're going to be, and it might be a, a more of a defensive drill and the winner can pick any one of their teammates. Um, and then we score it. And so all during practice, 10 points, if you won, uh, you know, whatever rebounds are worth, whatever. And that, and then, then that builds. So if you won two on two, or I'm sorry, even if you won two on two, if you're in first place and we're going three on three, you get to pick your, your next two teammates. And they always like, well, what drill is it? And I'll be like, it's full court finishing. Like, oh, okay. Ooh, I don't want the one I just won with. I'm going to pick my other player. And at the end of practice, you know, the, the winner doesn't run. And if there's 13 players on your team, then the 13th place team is going to run 13th, you know? And, um, so individual scoring, but also like, does your team pick you? Because if they don't pick you, um, you know, I got nothing to say. I, I didn't pick anyone in this whole practice. I'm telling you what the drill is, what the, you know, if it's a screen and screens are worth three points, um, you're going to pick someone different than a shooting drill. Right. So here's the theme. And then all of a sudden people start figuring out what their teammates think they're good at. And at the end, the person who's running is going to have a tough night because they feel like either they didn't win or their team didn't pick them. Um, but that's life. Like, get over it. Like, you better be the first one in the gym tomorrow if you finish last in the scoring practice. And and you can come cry to me. I'll hug you. I'll tell you I love you. And I'll tell you, you know, hang in there or whatever. But I'm not going to deny the fact that nobody picked you or you didn't win. No, nor are you just going to leave them without working with them. Exactly. And that's another point you that you've made throughout morning. this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll be there tomorrow. Like, come on, let's go with a lot of love and a lot of belief in you. But you got to prove it. Like, you got to prove it. Coach has been so refreshing, just uh, dealing with realities, direct communication, you know, this, just the way you approach this with Seek the Gap philosophy, just tremendous. Thank you so much for sharing the game with us. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Basketball Podcast. Learn more from some of the best coaches in the world at immersionvideos.com. At immersionvideos.com, our unwavering commitment to you is to offer the tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. If you're a better coach now than you were yesterday, We've done our job, and so have you. The goal is to focus on authentic sharing of resources you can use to help your players and teams improve. Drills, tactics, techniques, philosophies, practice design, and so much more will be shared from numerous coaches, including Nate Oates, Doug Novak, Aaron Fern, Dave Smart, and so many more to come. Go to ImmersionVideos.com now to check out all the products and follow at ImmersionVideos on Twitter to keep up to date. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.